So my name is Michael Foster. I am the pastor to our online community uh, here at Crossings. And um, it's been kind of an interesting um, transition for me. Uh, I was the IT director for Crossings for about 12 years. Uh, and now they've got a much better um, and better looking person doing it. Um, but um, I, it was more of a, a, a following a call into um, pastoring for me is that um, I never dreamed of working in church. In fact, I really thought I would never work at a church. Um, and ended up, um, somebody approached me about coming to work here, and I said, okay, I'll pray about it. Well, that leads to me being, um, working at the church for 12 years. All along, the whole time, I had people kind of speaking into me saying, hey, you have this pastoral heart. I'm like, yeah, no, I, God told me that I was going to work in the, um, in the secular world, and I was going to spread the gospel and be a missionary, and, you know, this whole thing. And, um, it was a really difficult decision at the time. Uh, I was relatively young in my career. I was about 25, 26. And I, I really had this whole idea about what I was going to do in the future. And it, it threw us for a loop. And so we, we prayed about it a lot. It was um, um, difficult for us to make the decision, which looking back on it now, it's just kind of like that was not a that was not a hard decision. It was a really, really good opportunity, number one, just to kind of grow. But number two, this is a great organization uh, to be a part of. And, and we, we had attended the church uh, for a couple years before we started working here. And um, it, it was just, it was one of those things. And so I, I did that prayer. And you may have prayed this before. Lord, what am I, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to continue to do what I thought you always wanted me to do? Or is this a new opportunity and you're, you're, you're starting to bring new things in? And it messed with my head significantly. Um, I had, I had, you know, no idea what God wanted me to do in those, those fervent prayers. You guys may have prayed this before. And, and so, um, it, it was just this, this really big prayer and it ended up being a big step out in faith for us to, um, and because it included my wife too, um, for us to, to, to get into um, a, a church um, vocation. Uh, I felt like I kind of went through that again as moving from, I, I, I justified it to myself because I'm working in the business side of the church, I'm working in support, it's not ministry. Uh, and then two years ago, I also went through the same thing. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What is this that you've got called on me? And, um, and, and we, just, we just prayed that, and, and it just became really, really difficult decision. Uh, two years later, it's one of the best decisions I've made because um, I'm, I'm enjoying, not that I didn't enjoy before, but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. Now. And so um, th- there's a lot of stuff just kind of wrapped up in those questions. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about um, just kind of our perspective and taking um, a longer term perspective of, you know, what it is we're doing in this life and as Christians, how we kind of live that out. So um, I oversee our online campus. and You're like, what does that mean? I've never um, really seen this online uh, community. Well, each week we stream our services to Facebook and to um, our, our website, and we have uh, cool tools that are surrounding that, like chat features, and um, we have um, some uh, groups that are going on. We have a group right now that's going through Centered. It's a video conference. Um, it's been really cool because there's people that literally cannot come to church, whether it's a health reason or a distance reason that they can't, they can't attend, um, and they've been able to gather in a video conference. And the cool, this is my favorite story, is that um, the first time we started it up, these people had been 
you know, they know their screen handles. They, they have this text relationship kind of going. It was the first time they'd actually seen each other's faces. And so that was a fun time to, to get in and sit and like, oh, this is you and this is you. And they're just kind of like looking at each other's faces through a screen. So it was neat to see that there was this community of people um, that are, are connecting to, together. So with our online community, we wanted to make sure that those people have an opportunity not just to connect to a worship service or hear a sermon and hear some worship music. We want them to be able to interact with the, the church community or what, what I've called the congregation. I've started to use that. Um, it's, it's really, um, I'm going to be transparent. I didn't think it was actually going to go very well. Um, I think, you know, this like, oh, on, like, church can't happen. Um, and now with colleges closing and moving to online classes, um, churches are really starting to prepare those that haven't streamed before. Um, I'm in a group of, of other online pastors around the, the, the country that are really helping other churches, and it's neat just to see the resources they're providing uh, on doing that. Um, and so it's just neat to see how, um, how that um, is really happening. And one of the big kickers to really help me dive into to the online community was when I watched my uh, senior in high school nephew. Um, he's a big video gamer, and when you ask him a question, he's such a great kid. Um, he, he's, he's, he's great to answer. He's very polite. He's very respectful. It's like, Hey, David, how's, how's your day today? Fine. What, what'd you do? Nothing. You know, it's, it's one of those conversations. He just, he's not a man of many words. Um, but when he goes back, and you can hear him playing the video game, and it's not the video game you're hearing, it's hearing him talking. And while he's playing this video game, he is talking the entire time. That guy does not stop. And it's just interesting to see is that when we're sitting, you know, you kind of have to pull. And I guess that's probably any high school senior. Sometimes you have to pull information out of them, especially when you're, when you're the, the uncle or somebody that, that's not with him every day. But when he's back on those computers, he's really developing relationships. One of the guys he plays with lives just around the corner from him. He could go and he could, he could walk over to that guy's house and they could have a conversation. But what, what is really interesting is it's the game that kind of creates that platform for the community to kind of gather around that. Um, we actually have a custodian that's in our church that's a, uh, that, that helps you know, work at our church. He is a part of a church for developed for gamers, and it's called God Squad. I started to look into it. He's been telling me a little bit about it. His name also, David, kind of interesting. Um, not the same person, but he, he's been uh, involved with this church, and what they're doing is they're taking an interest that people have. It's, it's an affinity-based church. So typically our churches have a, a basis in like an area, so a region, and then you go to that church that, that's kind of close to your house, or maybe you drive a little ways to come to crossings. Um, you go to that church because you like the music styling and the, the type of preaching that happens, and maybe hopefully some people that are, that are in that church. Well, what we, what we see in this, um, this God Squad church is that people are gathering around something that they enjoy doing, and it's gaming. And gaming gives them the platform they have, uh, and this is all brand new to me. I'm not a gamer. Um, Super Mario Brothers is my favorite game, which really shows you how long it's been since I've played video games. You guys may know a whole lot more about it, but they have this platform called Twitch, and they have live streaming services. And so people get online, and they'll film themselves, or they'll, they'll film them playing a game with audio on top of it, 
And people come and watch it, and they watch it for a long time. In fact, I got on and watched one of these guys, and he had a, he had a, um, a piano, a keyboard, and he was playing songs and interacting with people that were commenting. He had six people simultaneously watching him, and he did this for about five hours. Uh, he got on there, and he would just talk about stuff until someone asked him a question or said something funny, and he would interact with the chat. And so you see this, um, this affinity-based group gathering together in a virtual environment, to, um, to go to church. And it just sounds, it sounds crazy, but um, what I love about it is the fact that they're using something that they enjoy to further the cause of Christ. And they're engaging people um, to, to live their faith out, number one, personally, and number two, with others that they just happen to be around. And I can't think of a, a, better, um, a better way that a church would, would actually um, operate. And so I grew up in church, and we had this little, um, this little nursery rhyme that we used to do. I don't know if you remember this. It's like, here's the church, here's the steeple. You open the doors, and you see all the people. And I loved it. And, and it really kind of formed a lot of my ideas about what the, what the church kind of is. And a church was this building with doors and a steeple. Well, and, you know, a lot of churches don't have steeples. I grew up in a church that actually did have a steeple, had a bell tower, and when you got to be, like, in the fourth grade, this is completely useless information for you, when you got to be in the fourth grade, they would actually walk you up, and it was a church that had been added on to a lot, and so it was kind of, like, um, a maze to get up there, and they would show you where the bell tower was, and I could not wait to see this huge bell. It was a recording. I felt so lied to my entire life, but um, this church had a steeple, and so it really formed, and, and I don't think it was, um, it was intentional on trying to, to mislead me about what the church was, but it, it kind of informed the fact that, that when I think about church, it was this building. It was this place that you go to, and um, that's really not what the church is. And when you look through um, the scriptures, and, and I'm not a, um, a theologian, but Wikipedia was a great resource for me in this, so I'll cite that, is that the church comes uh, from a word translated um, into, um, it's, it's translated, you say it, ecclesia, or ecclesia, and it really is translated um, into a gathering um, um, or a, a group of people. And so that's my first slide. Let me get back over here. The church is not, um, it's not a building, much like I thought. Um, it's, not a, it's not a place that you go to, um, and it's, um, it's also not a service. A lot of time you think about, well, I'm going to church, I'm going to the church service, is kind of what you end up saying. Um, it's, not, it's not just that service. And then a lot of the other time is that a church is not a program, and this is something that we use a lot internally when we talk about the church, is it's not these things that you go to. It's not man challenge. It's not these particular pieces. Um, and so it's that, it's that ecclesia, it's the it's the gathering uh, of, of people. Um, and so the church is an assembly. Uh, that's kind of the, the definition of what um, the, the ecclesia is. Um, it's a gathering or it's a congregation. And so the, a lot of the time now I'm trying to start to change my personal terminology and the verbiage because it's important is that when I'm talking about the church body of believers, I try to typically use the congregation just because it gets mixed up a little bit sometimes. And when I say the church, I also start to say the church building if I'm refer- referencing you know, a physical place or a place that we meet. And so um, it's not a bad thing that you're, you're getting to the point to where 
where you're calling the church a building. And I'm not saying that that's bad. It's just try to think about the church as the, the people and even really more so the connections. Or to even refine it even better is the collection of the people who love Jesus and are trying to be like him. It's the collection of the disciples. And so we see in the New Testament a lot is the, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Um, in a lot of different places, it's kind of more inferred because Jesus is the bridegroom. And who's his bride? It's the church. And so it's the, the church is, is the bride of Christ. Um, and it, it's a really interesting concept. Um, and, and a lot of that comes in uh, from... Ephesians when he talks about you're supposed to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. Um, and so we, we kind of see that is that, that it's this church and, and Christ does love the church and Jesus is the bridegroom and so uh, the church is the bride of Christ. And we see it mentioned in Revelation 21, 9 through 27. Now, I'm going to give you a caveat. I am not um, a, a great biblical scholar. I try to study the Bible as best I can. Uh, I'm glad there's people around like Bill uh, that can help um, lead me uh, um, back on the right path. And I will say, too, Revelation is one that I typically have shied away from, and I've left it to the experts, just because there's, there's a lot of uh, different ways that, that people read it, uh, a lot of orthodox ways that, that you can kind of read it. And typically, when, when I run into somebody who says, hey, what you've been studying, and they say Revelation, red flags go way up. And so I'm going to share a story. We went to, uh, to Destin, Florida for a family vacation last year and we typically drive to the beach just because I'm cheap and I like having a car around but the place that we stayed in had um, a golf cart and we could drive pretty much anywhere we needed the grocery store restaurants the beach and that's really all I need when I'm on vacation and we decided hey if we ever need to go anywhere else we're just going to uber well the guy that took us from the airport to the to the place we were staying said man uber's weird in in Florida and he was right we get in this car. It's the first time I've ever Ubered before, and so I'm being super vigilant. I'm looking and making sure that the car that's picking us up has the right license plate, all the stuff that they tell you to do. It did not have the right, right license plate. It, it was the right guy, and I'm reading his profile, and one of the things that he says that he likes doing is reading the Bible. So we get in the car, and you know I'm trying to strike up conversation. We had so many people, I'm sitting shotgun on the front seat, um, which was also kind of interesting. And he has this big Bible sitting on the console. And so, obviously, he said in his profile that he likes studying the Word of God. It's great. I'm a pastor, so I strike up a, a biblical conversation with him. And I say, so, what you been studying? And he turns to me, he goes, Revelation. And I was like, oh. And then he said, for the past five years, this guy has been studying Revelations. And so the red flags continue to go way up. We proceed to, to spend the rest of the 45-minute drive of this guy explaining to me. And he's basically teasing me for 45 minutes that he knows who the Antichrist is. And the, the reasoning and some of the stuff is like, I want to get out of this car as fast as possible. And it was a very, it was a very interesting thing. And so um, I, Revelation is, is one that, that's, that's, um, that's kind of scary to me. But I came across this concept in a book. Um, and I want to share it with you. And it really has much more to do with the, Christ, with, with the bride of Christ or the church than it does with the end times. And I think that it's something to look forward to, but I also think that it's going to be something new. So um, if you'll open your Bibles to Revelation 21, 
9 through 27, this is occurring in, in Revelation 20. You see the last judgment. You see um, the, the enemy thrown and chained and locked in the, uh, the burning lake of fire, and you see the final judgment. And then in, verse 20, in chapter 21, we see uh, the coming of the new Jerusalem down. Um, and we'll pick back up in um, verse number 9. And it says, um, actually we'll start in 10. And, and the angel... And he carried me away into the spirit, in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel there were three gates on the east and three on the north, three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 fountains and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 1,200 stadia in length and as wide as high and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great city, the great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord, Almighty, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings on the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of nations will be brought to it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so this is kind of interesting. It's almost like the second viewing of the city. As you see the city of Jerusalem come down, and then they actually go in and kind of um, look at it. And really, it's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like a blueprint. So the new Jerusalem is this blueprint for, for heaven. And we actually see this, um, this, this blueprint idea kind of come in, in in a couple other areas where kind of someone goes up on a big tall hill and, and God reveals to them what that blueprint looks like. And so those are, um, the, the, the first one we see is that Moses climbed Mount Sinai to see the, the pattern of the tabernacle. And that's in Exodus 25, 9 and 40. Um, and so it, it, it's kind of interesting. You see a lot of the same types of things as far as what materials and how long, um, and, and you see that that's just this kind of blueprint. We see it also again is that Yahweh showed David the pattern of the temple and the furnishings in First Chronicles twenty-eight. Um, 
in, in that, um, after Solomon is able to actually build that temple, and you see some of the, the things that are, that are there. And then Ezekiel was shown a wondrous new temple, a city and a land, um, and a set of plans for the, to inspire the exiles returning from Babylon. Um, it's kind of this, this really interesting um, idea that, to have this, this plan for a city. And a lot of the time we look at this, you know, new heaven, this new city as like, great, when the final judgment kind of happens, we're going we're gonna to live in this gold-plated, it's going to be huge, it's going to be great, um, it's going to be fantastic. That's my Trump impression. <clears throat> um, and so we, we see this kind of happening, and we always have something to kind of look forward to. I'm going to go back to that, that blueprint um, slide. Is this, this blueprint? Well, I think that it's just kind of interesting because um, the Bible calls us the temple. Who resides in us is the Holy Spirit. So we've got God walking in and among us. Um, and really kind of anywhere we go, we're bringing God with us. And so I think that, that it's interesting because we look forward to this new Jerusalem. But it's a, it's a blueprint and a pattern of what we're building right now that we've got the city of God, that we've got the kingdom and its expanse. And this lesson is called dual citizens because we are dual citizens of this world and of God's kingdom. If you're a Christ follower, you live in both places. And the most interesting part about that is that it's not like you're um, a, a citizen of Britain and of the United States. You can have dual citizenship there. The, and you get the, the rights and um, the, the benefits of, of having citizenship in both places, but you can only be in one of those places at a time. And so it's kind of it's kind of a, an interesting idea is that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We're also citizens of the United States of America or we're walking this planet. But you think about it, anywhere we walk, we're stretching the borders of these cities. And as people start to do the rule and the reign of Christ in their own lives is that that city is kind of expanding. And it's, it's not really easy to see. And, and that's the hardest part is that what we're doing is we're living in two places at once. And the things that we're, we're interacting with every day are just kind of that background information or that backdrop or that, that, that place that we can, can expand God's kingdom into. But you can't really necessarily always see and feel and touch the kingdom of God. And so we, we as the church are, are there to kind of help expand God's kingdom, and we're dual citizens living in this place. And that leads me to one of my favorite verses, which is really kind of where, where this, this verse came from, is 2 Corinthians 4.18. Um, <clears throat> so we've set our eyes on the things that are, are unseen, for the things that are seen are only temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And this is our daily struggle. These are the things that, that we deal with on a daily basis is the fact that um, if you're like me, I see something bright and shiny and my attention is completely focused on that one thing uh, until I see something else that's bright and shiny and I go over there. And what we're looking at is this longer term perspective on the things that, that we're moving towards or that we're going to. It's a, it's a longer term perspective for us um, in the fact that you're in a, com- a deep conversation with your wife but there's a kingdom to be had here. It's a, it's a longer-term perspective. And so you start to see some of these things that are happening. I'm going to flip back to this, this concept of me praying about, well, do I go and take this new job? 
do I go and take this new role? Not bad things to do. And I'm always asking, God, what do you want me to do? Um, sometimes that you can say, God, how can I further your kingdom? How can I be a part of what you're doing um, in the life of, of the people around me in my life? How can your kingdom expand the most uh, in this decision? How can I be a part of what you're already doing? Uh, and so we have, these, we have these chances. We have these opportunities in many areas of our lives. So several weeks ago, I kind of talked about this wheel of life, that we have these different places and these different pockets that, that we can um, rate ourselves in and, and try to have a wholeness in all of those, is that we've got work, we've got family, we've got a spouse um, or a girlfriend or someone that we're investing in. We've got all these different places. We've got work. We've got friends. And I want you to think about how can you take and leverage every single moment, not every moment, how can you take and leverage every single one of those places that you're going into seeing, can you expand this kingdom? Can you, living as a citizen of this world and a citizen of of God's kingdom, how can you do both in, in those areas? And so I think that, that you kind of come to these, these things called what I've kind of termed meaningful conversations. They happen all the time, and they happen very infrequently. So meaningful conversations is kind of what, what um, my favorite place to have them is in the car. So I've had a lot of meaningful conversations in the car. Some of it is you don't have to look that person in the face, especially if you're driving. Uh, you can have meaningful conversations in the car with your spouse, with your friends that are riding with you, uh, and with your kids. And so I drive my kids to school in the morning. And it's not a super long trip, so we can't get that deep in, in some of the times. Most of the time, we're not having meaningful conversations. Most of the time, oh, he's touching me. I'm like, stop touching your sister, or just whatever it is. Um, but there's times where you do have those, uh, those meaningful conversations and uh, looking for opportunities to really thread in God's wisdom, uh, God's love, and what he's doing in your life um, to, to have these conversations. And so one of my favorite was um, when my son was about five or six years old, we're driving to school on the way, and he says, Daddy, can two boys get married together? Or two, can two girls get married together? And I'm like, okay, wow, this is way too early for this type of question. I wasn't prepared for this. Um, I can't go back and study. And so, you know, as as... Um, the infinite wisdom that I have uh, from somebody else is that you always ask for a little more context in this situation. And so I, I recognize this as an opportunity for a meaningful conversation. How can I teach him something about God's love for us and how we should be following him in, in the light of his question? It's a great question. So the first one is said, how did you hear about this and what did you know? Um, getting some context in that situation uh, to prepare for the meaningful conversation. Because if you don't have context, especially when a kid asks you something, but I would say do this with an adult too. Um, if, if you don't have context when a kid asks you something, then you could go way off the rails and answer a question that he is not or she is not ready to hear or not wanting to hear, in fact. Uh, and so um, I was able to kind of teach my son at that point in time a meaningful conversation, the fact that God's word is what informs us about what we should or shouldn't be doing, not whether we can, um, and it's, it's the, we're dealing with the fact that our nation um, and the laws that govern it say that it can, you can do that. But as, as Christians, we look for the Bible to inform us as far as what God sees as the best opportunity for a marriage. And so what I'm trying to teach him in this, in this instance, and this is, I, don't, I'm, I can't do this, I can't say I do this all the time, I do it well, 
But I was able to recognize that this is uh, something that I can teach my son to, to hopefully further the kingdom in his own life to turn to God's word for when we have some of these questions. And so um, that was a, a really cool, meaningful conversation. I've had a lot of great, meaningful conversations in car rides, uh, riding to the rock climbing gym. So I, uh, Brett talked about mentoring. Was that last week? Boy, it's been a long week. Uh, Brett talked about mentoring last week, and I found myself um, with um, at fifth and sixth grade camp. And every time I turned around, there was this there was this guy, and he was just kind of hanging out with me, talking to me, and I was talking back to him, and we were having a good time. And this happened a couple years in a row, and um, I realized this kid just he just he needs some 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 someone pouring love into his life, and so I kind of just hey, you want to go? I go rock climbing every Tuesday. You, you want to come with me? So he started coming with me every Tuesday. He would come rock climbing with me. And some, some of the best opportunities, and he considers me a mentor, and I consider him, he needs to get better judgment. But he, um, he, is, he is somebody that, that I've had a, a long-term opportunity to, to have some great, meaningful conversations with because it's a 15, 20-minute drive to the rock climbing gym. And even if we could only go for just a short amount of time, I always valued that opportunity. And, and what I would do as a mentor is I would kind of root around in some of the different areas of his life um, that we could have meaningful conversations about. How are things going with your, your mom? Have you seen your dad in a while? Have you, are, are you doing well in school? So start to like kind of root around in some of those pockets, looking for opportunities to share what God can be doing, um, how you can turn to God for, for some of those things to, to really do that. So um, some of the things that meaningful uh, conversations require are the space to have them in. It's that backdrop. It's your video games that you're doing. It's your job. That's a backdrop to the places that you can expand Christ's rule and reign. You can expand that kingdom, that holy city, um, as, as we're going there. Uh, and so um, you, you have these in your life. And just think about them. Um, it doesn't have to be weird, and it doesn't have to be every single time, but you have these spaces. So think about the spaces that you can have some of these meaningful conversations with with people that you are with on a regular basis. And that's the other thing that I think that you have to have in, um, to have those meaningful conversations is trust. You have to have space, and you have to have trust. And after I saw this, all I could think about was Space Force. So um, <laughs> it's not the space force. You have to have space trust. Um, so space trust is something that, that's required for these meaningful conversations. And so I grew up in the, the time where we talked about evangelism and evangelism. When I go back to it is the, you know, you got the church and the steeple and evangelism became for me is that you would stand on a random corner and you would pass out tracks. And if you've ever seen these, it's a track, it's like a pamphlet and it has the, the, um, the how to get saved. And that's the terminology that they used. Because a lot of the time that they would pit it is that if you died right now, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? And they would explain where you would go and you'd have to choose between the two. And um, the, I'm sure there were, there were people that, that really found God and became great disciples of Christ through these tracks. Most of the time, I think that they ended up in the wastebasket or they just got dropped on the ground. And a lot of it's just because it's a drive-by. I've got somebody that I don't know that's handing me a piece of paper that I don't want and somebody that I will never see again. 
And so there probably was some fruit that came from that. But what I say, well, there will be a whole lot more fruit is if you have meaningful conversations with the people that know you and trust you, that have seen your character, that have, have, have done those things. And so what I'm trying to encourage you to do is to live those things out, to take, to take hold of those opportunities that you have in the different pockets of your life. And I'm not just talking about evangelism. I'm talking about even doing this for yourself, teaching yourself the gospel, preaching yourself the gospel of how do you, how do you live this out? in your life, doing that with your family, people in your household, doing that with people in your work and the hobbies that you have, that this gospel that God has given us would permeate every piece and every place that we go, um, and, and so it can touch every person. And when I say that we're doing these, those things, when you preach the gospel, whenever it becomes real in your life, when you act it out, is we see these borders of this holy city just expanding. I liked the uh, the verse that um, that Brett um, Brett Vodder, Brent Vodder, uh told us last week. First Peter three fifteen. Um, it's been it's been stuck in the back of my head since he said it last week, um, and I think that's a good thing. It says, um, um, "But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord." And this is the this is one that I can't get rid of. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so when, when you're having these conversations, you see some opportunities to share the things that, that, that God um, wants for people in their lives or wants for you in your life. Um, just be ready to share. You've got to be ready to share um, some of these things. And the interesting part about um, sharing these things with people that know you well, you can't fake it. Like if, if you just all of a sudden out of the blue start talking about Jesus and you're like, you know Jesus? Um, then, then it might be kind of a, a, an interesting red flag. And so um, if, if, we're, if we're living like Jesus, we're like, oh yeah, I figured you probably were one of those Jesus people. Um, hopefully that's, that's the response that you get that, that's authentic. So first off, you have to do it in your own life. You have to be living it for yourself. Um, we read this book uh, on how to, how to grow your kids up in the church. And I was like, oh man, I cannot wait for all these great things I'm going to be telling my kids to do and for my kids this and these great tactics for my kids. Most of the book was about me and about having my own faith and living my own faith out. And I was like, God, this is not an easy thing to do. I wish I could just tell my kids to do it and I wouldn't have to do it for myself. That's what we really have to do is we have to, we have to be authentic. We have to own it. We have to live it. Um, so you need to be ready to share whenever you have those moments. So look for those moments and then be ready to share. Be ready to share what God has done, what God's done in your life. One of my favorite weeks um, that we have in our centered curriculum is when you share your testimony. You get to share, you have to write down, you have to do it in five to seven minutes. It's not just your testimony of how you became a Christian. It's a lot of the lead up to that and what's actually happened afterward. And so you're supposed to share this in five to seven minutes, which it's a great exercise for me, number one, because I'm not self-reflective. It takes an exercise for me to actually go back and do that. But when you, when you go back and you refine the, the story of what God's doing in your life, you can actually be like, oh yeah, he was here and he was here and he was here. Wow, I didn't even know that. He was, he was walking with me in these, these great, taking me through these great things. Um, so, so be ready to share what God's done. Be aware of what your own testimony is and those things that God's been doing in your life. The other thing is, um, be ready to share the things that God is teaching you. So 
presumably that you guys are, are, are studying God's word, you're learning, you've got verses that get caught in your head you can't get rid of, um, and they're refining you, they're, they're doing things in your life. Um, and so as, as you start to share with people um, that you have a God opportunity, a God moment, a, a, a place for a meaningful conversation, share what God's been teaching you. It's like, hey, I've been really struggling in this area, and this is where God has, has taught me. Um, what's really interesting, I had this friend in, in college, they would always ask me, hey, what's God's been teaching you? Well, I wasn't reading my Bible a whole lot, and so I would say the same thing every single time they asked. And so that's even another good self-reflective piece, is that if you're saying, you know, God's, God's really been teaching me patience. You know, he's been, he's been teaching me patience for a long time. He's probably uh, ready to teach you something new if you would really kind of dig in and listen. But just sharing some of the things that, that you've learned that God's taught you um, can be really, really helpful in, in some of those situations. And so when someone's dealing with, um, with a boss at work, maybe you have had a lot of um, learning from patients, and you can breathe that into the person. And whenever you're able to do that authentically, um, it can be well-received, even if they're not somebody who really cares anything about what the Bible has to say. The last one is um, be sure to share how much God loves them. And that's a good reminder. Some people um, aren't so easy to love, and um, they can actually feel that. So um, it's a great reminder is that God loves them. No matter what they're doing, no matter what they've done, no matter how they feel about themselves, if they're humble, if they're not humble, God loves them. And God has extended his grace to them. And so we see these. So you have these, these places that you go every single day. You have these people you interact with, and you have conversations. Um, ours, we usually kind of, we had conversations in high school. We had um, uh, one gym in our basketball uh, facility. And so we would flip-flop on who had the early practice. And so we'd have about two hours every other week to kill before basketball practice. You can't really, we didn't do homework. So we went and we watched Sports Center. And um, we would hang out at somebody's house, and we would make fun of each other. We'd drink Mountain Dew and eat gorditas. But the sports center was the backdrop for us to have some of the conversations about life or about ways that we could breathe into each other. And um, you've got those in your lives. So think about where, where those places are for us to really kind of expand the kingdom. Remember that the things that we see the things that we touch, the things that, that we smell, feel, hear, all the five senses, um, they're going away. They're, they're temporary. But we have an eternal perspective on how we can kind of look at our lives and, and live into those. Um, and so um, I want you to, to, I want to leave you with this last verse, Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I would contend that the work that he's doing in you is the work of salvation, the work of the gospel, the work of the fact, simple fact that God loves us so much that he gave us a savior in Jesus Christ to bring about a right relationship so that when he died and was resurrected, we have a right relationship with God. That's the gospel. I mean, and, and you can really kind of go back to it. We look at the Bible. It's one contiguous story um, that, that tells the redemption, the fall and the redemption of man to God. 
Um, and it's a great story, and, and we can share that story with others in a lot of different ways. So I would, uh, I would continue, to, continue to do that. So we'll break at 7.45. You have about 15 minutes for just some discussion. So go to your tables for your discussion questions uh, to kind of talk about some of these places uh, that you have space and trust, where you can have meaningful conversations and ways that you can kind of share some of those things that God's doing in your life.